Served every Saturday from 5 to 7 p.m. Right here on WCBN 88.3 FM, Ann Arbor. Dr. Beanworth will see you now. Right in here, please. How are we doing here today? All right, just sit back, relax, uh, open uh, your mouth there, and uh, give me a nice big ah. It was okay until I heard that waiting room music. If only you listened to WCBN, you'd hear music like that and many other good kinds of music as well. Not to mention entertainment, brilliant news and ideas and sports. Tune in, won't you? Surely you're not talking about WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Good afternoon. You've, you've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today on the program, I'm so pleased to have in the studio Calvin Forbes. Calvin, welcome. Well, thank you. It's nice to be here. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's sure good to have you. And thanks for picking that, that first song, uh, uh, Janis Joplin, to, uh, to give us a little um, a growling um, summertime uh, beginning to the show. Um, You've you picked the songs for our, all our breaks today, and, and so we'll be talking about them as we go along. Calvin, do you, why this one to start? Well, uh, partly I was talking recently about summertime, uh, the song, and um, paying attention to the lyrics and what actually the song is about. And the second part of that is uh, uh, a lot of people have not heard Janis Joplin's version of Summertime. And I remember hearing it, and um, uh, so I was just wanted to, you know, to use this as an opportunity to talk about summertime, maybe, uh, the lyrics and what they mean, et cetera. And also, you know, why not Janis Joplin? Because it's rare people hear her do this, and, and it shows that she knows that music. And sort of the way that, like, so the movement within the timing of it, is that, or, well, well what do you mean, Calvin? Maybe well, <laughs> I mean, the, if, you, if you read the lyrics, it's a lullaby, um, and... In the, the line, uh, the cotton is high, that uh, means, uh, and your daddy's rich. It's this song being uh, sung to a child, a baby, um, and the cotton is high is referring to the fact that it's going to be a good crop and we're going to have work um, and everybody's going to make money. Um, so it's not about a, a being rich as like Romney rich or. You know, <laughs> 
or anything like that. But it's really about that we're going to be able to um, make a living. Because if it's a bad crop and you're a farmer, uh, et cetera, uh, you're not going to make much money. And one of the reasons I like this song and talking about it is that we have very few uh, popular songs today which are actually about work. Um, and this song, in many respects, is about work. Uh, there's work to do, we're going to get paid, and there's going to be enough to eat. Which is so strange, because from the, the title, if, you, if, if you're someone like me and I haven't actually spent time with the, the lyrics, and so if you're just hearing them in pieces, they can come to you and mean really different things, aside from right. that somehow. So that's really... that's yeah. That's wonderful. Calvin, before we go any further, um, let me just say that we're going to be hearing some poems today, too. Um, Calvin Forbes is visiting um, in town uh, to read at the, the University uh, Museum of, of Art. And, um, and so this is a taped show. Um, and I'll just read the short biography in the back of the Shine poems um, as, before we go back to our conversation. Calvin Forbes' first book of poems is Blue Monday. He is an associate professor at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, where he teaches writing, literature, and jazz history. A recipient of grants from the Illinois Arts Council and the National Endowment for the Arts, he has been a Fulbright teaching fellow and for several years served on the board of the Poetry Center in Chicago. Um, and and it's, it's great. Um, because I was just I was I was talking with Calvin about how photogenic he is. <laughs> very very great great author photo here. Um, and so, Calvin, maybe this actually keys in then to because forgive my ignorance, but I can't think of what's who should I know of as singing "Summertime" most. Well, it's been recorded. Uh, I've heard versions. I've heard people describe that it's been recorded over twenty thousand times by different people. Uh, from the original Porgy and Bess uh, in 1938, That's I believe. Okay. Um, and there are instrumental versions, um, um, vocal versions, and, um, and so forth. So it's been recorded a great deal. But even myself, when I first started looking at the lyrics several years ago and paying attention to them, I began to think, well, this, this is, these lyrics are about work. And... Um, and the whole notion of cotton is high means a good crop, etc. Um, and uh, cotton is picked was picked by hand uh, up until the cotton gin, and so forth. And so you know the idea of work and that um, um, summertime, the living is easy, the fish are jumping. The, the, the idea that you will go fishing to get food to eat. I mean, this is not fishing for for uh, leisure activity. Right. Um, this is, and so I was just struck by that because one of the things, again, is that a lot of popular music today, uh, stuff you hear on the radio, is not actually about, you have no reference to people working to earn a living, uh, what they do to just to put uh, food on the table. And I was struck by uh, the fact that summertime, the lyrics refer to this. Yeah, something that's actually very real that's happening. Right. Um, that's that's set in this this almost this beautiful like summertime and the living is easy like it's pro being proposed as yeah. something that it's almost not yeah. but it's yeah that it that is so true it's not as if it's a fantasy that's so much of popular music maybe right. seems to project in right. some ways yeah and you you said a couple of years you've been this is this is a song that you've been well I was looking or, yeah I was looking at um. 
different lyrics, uh, uh, songs and about work. Um, there's a, another song I like, uh, um, Johnny Paycheck, uh, Take This Job and Shove It. <laughs> right, which we can say on air. <laughs> 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 yes, yes. And I, and I, you know. Wait, Kelvin, I don't remember that being on your nah, list, nah, though. Nah, Maybe nah, Tex nah, can find that one. But I like that one, too. This notion that, you know, I'm going to quit this job. I'm, I'm um, That I'm not going to take this anymore. I had enough of this. You can take this job and shove it. Um, yeah. Okay, so what's this interest in work then? Because is this the current? Are these also? Is it linked in with your your work with poems as well? Or it is linked in with my uh, my poetry, but it's also I teach a class in uh, jazz and history, and blues history, and that uh, I found that a lot of students see these uh, poems and stories, these songs metaphorically, uh, and don't realize that they're actually about work. And that one of the uh, definitive qualities of, of work is can you quit a job? Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell, you know, can you, you leave a job? And what does that mean? And, and the, uh, there's a lots of great blues songs about that, the notion of having to work. And a lot of country and Western music, too, mm. too because it comes out of, you know, being working class and you have to work. And what does it mean to, you know, to to get up in the morning and you have to go to work and what happens if you don't go to work um and we're going to party on saturday night because monday i have to you know to go to work i mean this is you know and uh, uh and the awareness of that uh, uh, really struck me and it stayed with me and i've been interested in that yeah and it seems like there's been probably times maybe in in your life where you've actually said no and left work to go to because you've traveled quite a bit there's parts um in in sort of your your expanded biographies that i could find online where it's you know hitchhiker and so so there were times when you actually chose to leave um so it seems like it has this resonance with you as well as this yeah anyway could does it (laughs) it 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 does it does but mainly that question brings up a point that I've talked to talked about with several of my friends when I was uh, in the sixties and the seventies, and when I can't when I was uh, young in the seventies like that, um, I never really worried about finding jobs because you could always find manual labor jobs. And are um, you saying are you thinking because you were born in Newark, mm-hmm. and then and then you also you had a short stint at Rutgers mm-hmm. and then switched to the the new school of social research right. in New York, so. What when you're saying at this point, where are we in your well all history? all through that period because um wherever I went, I could find a job so it, it wasn't um I would go someplace and I needed to find a job and I could find a job I could find a job as um as as I said mostly in manual labor um but I never felt um that I couldn't find a job. I never they mm. what they call now the you know the anxiety and, and, you know, about finding work. Um, when I moved to, when I was living in New York, I left my mother's house. And I dropped out of school and I moved into an apartment that cost me seventy five dollars a month. In New York City. Yes, that's a magical time, <laughs> Calvin. Right, right, right. <laughs> and I could find I found a job that and I was able to pay my rent. I mean, it was just you know, it just as simple as that. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't this anxiety about money. 
and find work. I just I went to Boston. I found the job. I went to was that at Emerson College? Was that after being oh, that, in school that, or no, before? That's after. That's okay. after. That's <laughs> after. I, I got quote unquote a degree. I got into Emerson College. But I'm talking about before I had a degree and before I became a teacher. I mean, I always found jobs. I got found a job in a beer factory, a beer factory, and you know, I what a brewery. Uh, loading cans up. I found jobs that working as a mover. I mean, but again, they're manual labor jobs, but I always found work. I found jobs. Um, <laughs> I worked in, uh, you know, in a factory p- packing pineapples, you know. Um, <laughs> and, and where we, was that? That was in Hawaii. That's what I was wondering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and were you traveling and then you needed to to travel mm-hmm. and so you found ways of wherever you got to working when yeah. you got there yes yes and was that also to give you why were you traveling Calvin? well because uh when i first a friend of mine one time came by my house and said he was going to california tomorrow mm-hmm. what well, i did i want to go i said cool <laughs> let's go and i you know there was somebody else we we both knew he had a house. He and his wife had a house in California, and I said, "Cool, let's go." You know, tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. I mean, I quit my job and you know went to California. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't planned. I had a place to stay, and two weeks after getting into California, getting to California, I found a job, and I stayed there. And then somebody else came along. Another friend said, "Let's go to Vermont." And I said, "Cool. I'd never been to Vermont. Let me go to Vermont." And, <laughs> I like your your crisscrossing of the whole nation. Nothing in small degrees. No, and 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 so we went to I went to Vermont, uh, and and then so I hung around Vermont. It was during the summer. It was very nice up in the mountains up there. The Green Mountains. The green Mountains. Mm-hmm. It was very beautiful, and uh, and so you know, and I didn't as long as I had a place to stay. I, I it wasn't as reckless as it sounds because I always had a place to stay. I never arrived in town um, without a place to stay. Mm-hmm. or contacts. I never just arrived in a city or wherever uh, with nothing. Maybe that's next. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll take a short break, okay. and then we'll be right back. Right. Um, today on Living Writers, Calvin Forbes is here. He has a book that we'll hear some poems from, The Shine Poems. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be right back. Sail on, sail on, sail on, my little honeybee, sail on. You gonna keep on sailing till you lose. Your happy home. Sail on, sail on, my little honeybee, sail on. Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today in the studio, Calvin Forbes is here. His book, The Shine Poems. Thanks to Tex for playing the songs uh, that Calvin's chosen for today. So why 
Why Muddy Waters, Calvin? What with this song? Well, he's a, a great uh, blues singer. Um, um, great guitarist work on this song. Um, and again, like uh, the previous uh, discussion about summertime, when you listen to the lyrics, they're, they're slightly different than you might expect. Um, on one level, it's about this uh, a woman who is maybe not being faithful, but he, as he ends the song, he says, as long as you come home, everything will be okay. So I found that very unusual and a different take. Um, okay, you're doing something you shouldn't do, I don't want you to do, but as long as you come back to me, you know, and that's a different twist on, um, uh, and he's not saying this in a sentimental way that, you know, um, 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 to, 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 I would take anything that you do to me, but um, but the recognition that there's a, it's almost like that uh, the movie the, the uh, Descendants with uh, George Cooney, this an idea of uh, quote unquote someone who's unfaithful, if you will, put it that way. But at the same time, you love that person and you're willing to do for, for that person to take to take that person back. Um, uh, the, the movie that, uh, The Descendants with George Cooney. Um, it's an interesting movie. I described it to friends of mine, quote-unquote, as an adult movie because it deals with a moral complexity. Here you find out your wife, your husband maybe, depending on the circumstances, has been, uh, quote-unquote, unfaithful to you. And what do you do now? She's dead. She's dying. Uh, she's in the hospital. Do you abandon her? Mm. And that's a moral complexity uh, that I found very intriguing in the movie. And to a certain extent, there's a moral complexity in the, in the song. Uh, should I take you back? Um, and what are the, you know what under what circumstances? And so I, I thought that was interesting. And uh, and how you say that it's actually in the lyrically, it's in the last line, yes. spoken sung mm-hmm. line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the, you know, in the metaphor of the honeybee. Just jumping around from flower to flower right, right. indiscriminately, yeah. you know, and and um, but you know, when you you come back whenever you get a chance, you know. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's so interesting that you say that because it's it seems like it's about something else because it almost sounds because yes, like this honeybee, this idea it seems so happy mm-hmm. and, and light, like mm-hmm. this idea of summertime living is easy. Right. Right? But then it allows for this other darker things right. to, to come through. Right. How is that something that you're also aware of doing in your poems, Calvin? Well, I hope to, I, I, I strive to, in the sense then that the poem or the story can have multiple meanings, um, that you would see and learn different things from it. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I hope to aspire to have that in my poems. And your poems, in a, a way, are spare, mm-hmm. which seems opposite to what we're just talking about, like these layers, right? Mm-hmm. But but it's still, it's working in a different there's complexity to them, but there's a deceiving. This is sort of what the idea that I was going towards, Calvin, is that it's they seem spare, but there's many things going on 
on the page in many directions. I'm pointing like, as if you have this line of poems and it's work interacting with the line above and below in these different ways. Well, I hope so. I mean, that's what I, I try to do, whether I'm successful or not, as a, you know, it's up to someone else. Um, well, right. why? No, I mean you're doing. It. Well, <laughs> or you know, people I mean, getting it is what. what well, hope hope they get it. You know, um, but that's what I try to do, I and mean, that's what I strive to do because it allows for a certain level of complexity if you can um, suggest more than what you say. I mean, that's one yes. of um, one definition of poetry is that you can suggest more than you say, and you can say a lot more with a few words. Uh, so I like to do that, and I like to think about that. And that seems to come to, down to even to, to punctuation. Right. Yeah. Well, I, it, punctuation. <laughs> interesting that you, now that, we're going into the weird poet. No, no, <laughs> no. Well, the thing about punctuation, I'm I'm very interested in punctuation. I'm interested in grammar. Um, um, and uh, I can tell. Well, good. I'm 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 pleased. I am. <laughs> I'm interested in grammar and punctuation and, and uh, throw out another word, syntax, because um, uh, at some point that became important to me as I learned more about it, um, and um, and I realized I could use that as a um, another factor in, in 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 my poems. And is there one that you seem that you could? read now Calvin for us that in some ways I mean I guess in some ways I feel like you could open to, to any page and, and it would be there in this book well I'll, I'll read a poem uh, since earlier we talked about uh, Janis Joplin um, and this is a poem uh, called 1967 and um, when I went out to California I uh, hitchhiked up to um, the Fillmore to hear Janis Joplin. Um, and it was all just, actually I didn't go there specifically to hear her. Uh, I ran into some Hell's Angels. <laughs> and um, In a good uh, way? In, in a good way. It was a, I have to f write about this some more. Uh, this poem only captures part of it. Um, it's called 1967. Some Angels Out of Jail so there's a party for the Hell's Angels at the Fillmore. Choppers line the curb, inside beer on the floor, blonde hair in a fist. I keep my peace. A giant hash pipe floats by, its bowl round as a bear hug. Janis Joplin's on stage, Jefferson airplanes in the wings. A lone dancer smiles to herself. I pretend to be speechless. Years later, words still fail me. Yes, it's true. I was there. Um, now, the reason that that last line um, is partly to say to myself that, yes, it did happen. It wasn't a fantasy. It wasn't a dream. Um, uh, somehow or another, I wound up at this concert at the Fillmore Ballroom in San Francisco where all the great San Francisco bands were uh, playing um, because uh, a hell angel had been in, out of, had just gotten out of jail. And it's a, it's a period that has been written about in, in, in textbooks about the, of that era, the 60s, because um, the hippies were trying to make peace with the hell's angels. Um, and later on, that would be 
lots of problems because uh, um, the hell, uh, I think it was the Rolling Stones or somebody, some group, had hired the Hells Angels as a security team. Um, and the Hells Angels went berserk and they killed somebody. Um, oh, uh, um, because, well, as I was saying to someone earlier, the um, they uh, these guys, were, they could be very nice, but they also were very volatile. Yeah, because they weren't because they weren't always sort of seen as this security force, right? They weren't like um, uh, self-appointed um, peace uh, or justice keepers, <laughs> were they? I mean, I think, didn't they start out as a gang? And then it's sort of more like a motorcycle gang, which sort of morphed in or at this time, because you said the, they wanted peace with the hippies. I mean, it it's. Well, they wanted peace with the hippies because, well, it's a long story, actually. <laughs> okay. But it, one of the things... Which you are uh, going to write about. Well, I, I have to write about it because it, it deserves more um, coverage, if you will, put it that way. Because um, part of it had to do with drugs. Um, and um, and the, the fact that uh, um, the Hells Angels w were... Um, um, occupying the same territory, Golden Skate Park, and some of the uh, things that were happening there, uh, love-ins, etc., uh, all these free concerts that were happening. The angels were around. I mean, there are other, one of the other things about that period, um, there were lots of people involved who were not into peace and love. There were groups of people who were around who were criminals. Mm -hmm. Or maybe preying on the people who were, well, like, d smiling and dancing in their own world. Or... Right. You're, that's a nice way of putting it, or a better way of putting it. Right. They were preying and, and like parasites. Um, and that was happening. And that's one of the things, quote-unquote, that I keep on saying that phrase, but that would... <laughs> helped destroy the hippie movement, the peace movement, because there were people who, whose hearts were not, quote unquote, <laughs> whose <laughs> hearts were not in the right place. Yeah. Um, uh, that was coming up. And so um, that, that was a crucial period in the late 60s. And I had come out there, I was about 18 or 19 years old. Um, and um, and all, years later, I, I thought about it and, and I was there. Uh, as, I, as I say in the last line, that because sometimes it seems like a fantasy um, or a dream. Well, especially if you've, you've read about it in in textbooks, as you were saying, or seen some documentary footage or the films that they. Mm -hmm. It's weird to think. I had I have a set of eyes that were a vision, like a camera for mm -hmm. the moment. Right, right, and um, they would actually, you know, there very often would be these uh, f uh, festivals of free concerts um, because part of you know the thing too is like the 99% Occupy Wall Street it was anti-capitalist mode so it was a very interesting time um, that people were giving things away and they would give these they would have these benefit concerts it was the anti-war movement a lot of things were happening um, but again the the um, the uh, the angels and other gangs were there uh, and just a lot of criminal activities were, were happening uh, as well. Yes, and and you you didn't even probably did you even know when you were leaving Newark, um, and your friend said let's go to California because this is that time mm -hmm. right and yes. you and so you guys together 
the two of you hitchhiked across the country? Well, we first went out, we, we uh, drove. Excuse oh, drove me, no, we, we flew. Uh, and uh, I went back and forth across country about three or four times, hitchhiking, driving, and mm-hmm. I didn't fly again. Uh, but um, the first time uh, we flew, and then I hitchhiked, and then drove. We rented a car, uh, whatever. We you know various ways. And I stopped in different places, uh, 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 different communes uh, that were that were established that you would know people, and you would stop and crash there. Like with young people today, they're couch surfing. Mm-hmm. It was a version of that. You would have these different groups of people who, who had um, that you would know cross country, and you would go and show up, and they would take you in. You know, <laughs> and and that was and you're seeing seeing the world. At the I'm beginning. seeing the world, and I'm learning. And, and and again, one of the things that there was this uh, other element <clears throat> around of violence. Um, People forget about that. I mean, there were lots of different ways that violence was happening. Uh, People would get beat up because they had long hair. There was a lot of anti-hippie. This was, again, the the period um, um, that was happening because the way if you looked like you were a flower child, somebody would call call you names. You could get expelled from school. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. What did you look like at that point? Were you? Did you embrace that? Were well, you a flower I, I, child? I, 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 I don't know if I was a flower. I, I had, <laughs> I, I had uh, long, uh, un, uncombed Afro type hair. Um, I mean, I had you know, a pair of jeans and whatever. And I, I didn't have any. I didn't have much. One of the reasons I could travel like that, everything I owned, I could put in one knapsack. I, mean, I, I had two pair. I think I had one pair of shoes. I had two pair, maybe two, two pair of jeans. I didn't have anything. I mean, I, I didn't have. Uh, I had a knapsack. And everything I owned was in that knapsack. So when people said "Let's go," all I had to do was grab my knapsack. You know, I might have had a couple of books. Let's take a short break, and okay. then we'll pick up from there, Calvin. Okay. Um, today on the program on WCBN-FM, Ann Arbor, Living Writers, Calvin Forbes is here. His book, The Shine Poems, will be right back. Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today Calvin Forbes is here. His book, The Shine Poems. Um, Calvin, that was actually a, a, an excellent song that just came on as for the break, because uh, it seemed all about traveling and, and the bright side of the street, even just to quote a few of the the lyrics. Right. This Van Morrison. <laughs> um, what I like about this song, too, is... Um, it has this, this spiritual message to it. Um, this idea is that uh, 
life is full of turns or whatever, however you want to put it, and that metaphor, ups and downs, and will you help me make this journey? Mm-hmm. Um, classic idea that life is a journey, and um, can, will you go along with me? Will you help me make this journey? Um, and that um, it doesn't ignore the fact that there's a dark side. And I also like that this is a bright side of the road. Oh, so, right. So therefore, there implying. Is a, right. Yeah. There is a dark side of the road. And can we stay on the bright side? And I thought, you know, I, I, that appealed to me because, you know, Van Morrison put it simply is uh, I think he's very deep and, so, and I think the song is very spiritual uh, and uh, on one level you could think of it as a, as quote unquote a, a romantic song a love song um, in that way but, but but it's not directly that I think I think again it's uh, um, uh, about the spiritual journey I mean, I mean theoretically a marriage, a partnership. I like that word partnership and companion uh, to describe your love. Yes. Uh, because you are a partner and you are a companion, uh, ideally. And the idea that can you go along with me on this journey of life and we'll try to stay or be on the bright side of the road? Because there is a dark side. Um, another factor there that... Um, that is how how important that music was to me. And I guess for people today, they have their own music that's important to me, um, important to them, rather. But maybe I'll read a poem that touches on the, that to a degree um, in terms of the importance of music. Um, uh, this is called Radio Memories. Oh, I'm so glad. Thanks for reading this one. <laughs> okay, well, good, good. Um, and it's dedicated to Wolfman Jack, who was a DJ in New York. And I, used, I think he was on a commercial for a while, but I remember hearing him. And one of the things about Wolfman Jack is that, um, in terms of radio, um, that you could hear him in different locations because you could pick up, I think he was in North Carolina, and I could pick him up on, in New York. Um, and so the, these, this, how radio was actually in some respects more important than the internet back in the day um, because you could hear these, these radio shows from lo- that were being broadcast and late at night and you could hear lots of different music. So this um, poem is about uh, um, the role of the DJ in playing music on the radio. And I mentioned several important DJs. One was Jocko, who was also in New York. Uh, Symphony Sid was a famous um, DJ in New York. And they would come on late at night, and you could hear this great music and learn a great deal. Uh, and what a great that. name, Symphony Sid. Yeah, but there's actually a, a famous uh, jazz song, Jumping With My Man Symphony Sid in the City. Um, and he be, he was famous in, in the day. See, because I was 14, 15 years old uh, and listening to this music on the radio like that. Uh, and you heard all kinds of music then. Um, as I said, from all over the country, you you know, great radio stations, um, and also in the pond. I feel I feel so grateful for you saying this, Calvin. Mm-hmm. And I should just say, this is not at all like I didn't ask you to read this poem. Oh, I said, okay. what would you like to read, right? Because next week is it will starting actually um, this this sun this Friday is our fundraiser for oh, the okay. station, and you know there aren't 
really that many freeform radio stations or radio stations out there like you're talking about, like that, oh. where you can listen to, like if you if you're listening to your music cloud, chances are they're going to give you music that you that is similar to what you've already liked instead of find like what it sounds like your experience was at 14 or after that and coming into this contact with all these different DJs that had introduced you to different not only different music but different people things that you would never have heard about if you hadn't heard it on the radio um, you would hear conversations you hear references uh, 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 so it was really an important part and and one of the things I mentioned here is uh, we didn't have uh, DVDs or whatever. We had a transistor radio, um, and and how important the transistor radio was because it was portable. You could turn, the, you know, you you know, you put it next to your ear and you walk down the street. You didn't have earphones or whatever, <laughs> and you would have a transistor radio. And and I make reference to the, just the importance of radio. I mean, uh, I still love radio. I mean, because um, for one thing, it's not. It can be freer because it doesn't have to be commercialized as much as other media. Um, much freer than TV, for instance, or movies, because there's some, you know, it's a lot more flexible uh, than. And I don't want to give a commercial for great radio, but <laughs> actually, it's just. Yeah. Thank you for saying something about it. Oh no, radio is is crucial. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know. I want to imagine, as you mentioned, with the cloud, you're only going to hear certain things which are familiar to you or similar. But if you turn on the radio, you might hear something you never thought about before, you didn't know existed. And so that becomes a really great way of learning. You hear conversations that you never, you know, books, references to books, etc. Um, so this is actually uh, dedicated to all DJs. <laughs> uh, radio memories. Uh, for Wolfman Jack. Sweet Jesus in all his names made you want to be that woman's lover, that man's friend, according to the top ten. Monday through Sunday, jazz, gospel, R&B, rain like rap, try today. Until I brought Bach into the house, everyone thought I was cool. Jocko, Symphony Sid, a few radio heroes, WNJR kept me company hours more affordable than black and white TV and not nearly as rare as stereo record players. Radio was my cyberspace, my socket to the world, so much so that a home without a radio was nowhere. That's why the electric bill had to be paid right after the rent, why transistors were a temporary fix. Had a car without a radio, you might as well walk. Static free, 24-7, come Sunday, God's in the house. Nowadays, you got to DJ for yourself. And um, I mean, one of the things about having you know the radio like that is that you could hear a, a, a song that you that fits your mood just right, just then, and that you um, comes out of the blue. 
And I really I love that and this, the, the idea of having a car without a radio. I mean, you know, you couldn't get a date. Who's going to go out with you if you don't have a you know a radio in your car? Uh, you know, um, because some people might say, "Well, I'll save money. I don't need a radio." But again, I, I you know, it just strikes me as just a, a absurdity. But um, I, can you imagine, like, say? Uh, a friend of mine, we were talking earlier about driving cross country. That we used to be, you know, what radio station would you listen to as you drive across country? You know, you have to recognize that because, you know, suppose you're driving through Nebraska, what radio station can you listen to? How are you going to survive? You know, uh, so that became, I, I really, you know, again, love radio. And, it, you know, it's so strange because the whole I I love radio, too. And I feel like it's like poems in some way. It's like this. It's this thing that if the people who love it don't take care of it, it's going to disappear because already um, some of that the commercialization of radio where they're they're um, they're 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 like maybe planning a mon- like a show um, in the corporate headquarters in Texas that they're going to play in Nebraska, Louisiana, uh, Illinois, Michigan, and it's all the same show on some stations now, which is yeah. Then because how do you? Because you want that other radio station with that broadcast signal when you're driving through Nebraska, so you can hear what someone there believes or likes well, to listen to that well, it's moment. Also, but the in radio can be more individualized or personalized in that way and reflect the uh, the taste of who's on the radio for one thing but also it allows you sometimes you're driving or you listen to the radio and you realize that it builds a community it's not like yes. facebook community i should say because facebook community is the, is a yeah, forgive me but a false community because it is it, done ultimately to sell ads <laughs> yeah. and so or the strange networking yeah, idea yeah. which is supposed to take the place of friendship right right and i i think you know because the when, I, when i'm listening to the radio um um, especially on non-commercial radio now. Yes. Uh, they're not trying to sell me anything. Uh, they're not telling me, you know, to buy this deodorant or buy this lipstick or buy this car and whatever. Um, but, you know, and you can um, uh, uh, contribute to it financially, and, and it's worth it. It's well worth it. Uh, I, I believe that because you can't get that experience anyplace else. Because that aspect of community that you mentioned, it goes back to what you said about if by chance the DJ puts a song on and it fits like what you're feeling, it's this immediate connection into like this, you're not alone. Right. So it's the level of someone's created and made the song, right? right? Then someone chose to play it. And, and well, you right. hit on a key thing because you said that person, that DJ, chose to play that record. It's personal. It's not but, that, but the, it's personal the, to you too. It's personal to me too. But it's also that uh, the DJ wasn't told to play this record because it's top ten yes. that you have to play this in a rotation. Yes, you know whatever. I play. I'm playing this record because I I like it. I think you will like it too. Uh, even though you know, again, I, I I don't know you. I'm I'm just I'm driving in my car. I'm at home in my bedroom listening to the radio, um, and that was a really a wonderful experience. I still have those experiences, um, listening like that, and it's really wonderful, um, and I, I appreciate that a great deal. 
Oh, well, I'm so glad. You, thanks for reading that poem, Calvin. That was, okay, the, we, you know what? We're going to take a short break. We'll, be, we'll make this a short break so we can come back for more conversation with Calvin Forbes, his book, The Shine Poems. We'll be back. Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. And today, Calvin Forbes is here. Um, his book of poems that we've got on the table here with us, The Shine Poems. Um, Calvin, so we're thinking, let's, let's, um, let's shall we hear another uh, a poem, maybe one of the shine poems themselves in the book? Because you, this, the book is structured with, is it, is it four? Four sections. Four yes. sections. Yeah. And the final section it, are, are all dealing with this character this right. this folk from folk character mm -hmm. shine right how did shine present himself to you and glow his companion um their voices why did it become this this voice that you worked with or this character that you worked with well in um shine is a folk character i heard stories about him as a kid growing up um and uh is also one of the sources of hip hop uh, uh, as kids, and uh, we would play these rhyming games. Um, and uh, uh, and Shine was a folk character. He merged in African American communities in the early 20th century. Uh, and I'd heard stories about him, and, and it was the, uh, he was supposed to have been a sailor on the Titanic. Uh, but that, you know, and so forth, and he had survived, and and um, kind of a, again a folk hero. And what I did was um, give him a, a girlfriend. Her name was Glow, and they and they uh, his companion, um, and um, they had a child together. Um, and these were, I think, twenty poems uh, about them and about him. Um, and the child is Shade. Shade, right? yes. Yes, shine, glow, and shade. And, see what uh, we see. We're catching on with this. Yeah, playing. With the yeah, and um, this poem, um, when I lived in Boston, I used to, again, listen to the radio, WBUR. I think that was the radio station, FM station. Uh, they would have great music. And, again, you know, conversations. I would learn so much. And there was a, a lady DJ. And and I, then she left town, 
And then when I came back to New York, I heard on the radio again, and she was now in New York. Uh, and I was so I remember I don't remember her name. It's, was she the inspiration for Glow then? Like yes. this voice, this voice that you would hear in the night, and uh, that that I never saw her face. I never knew what she was like. I never saw, but I remember hearing her voice on the radio and knowing um, that voice. Something about that, that voice. voice. Oh, no question. Because as I mentioned, uh, when I came back to New York later. A year later, she uh, was on the radio there. She had moved. I, when she left Boston, I didn't know where she went, but she was no longer on the air. And then when I turned the radio on in New York, there she was. <laughs> and uh, so uh, it's another radio poem. I hadn't really thought about that connection before now, that uh, these poems are, quote-unquote, you know, about radio and listening to the radio. Um, and this is called Blind Date with a Voice. Um, and, you know, you kind of have a date with the radio. She's going to be on the on the radio. Um, There's so much pathos there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, well, yes, I, I realize that now. Um, Shine met a girl named Glow who stole the night from the moon. She's a lady DJ, and Shine liked to imagine her, knew that she sounded, sitting naively before the mic. A waterfallen voice flowing through the airwaves into Shine's house. And Shine longed to kiss her voice. Sundown, he followed her steps, and Glow thought Shine was her shadow. Together in the elevator, they spoke and got off speaking at the hundredth floor. There he carved her name on a cloud and promised to take her to see John Coltrane. Then Shine jumped out of the window, for he had to be home before his mother opened the door. And um, so that's about meeting uh, Glow, who's this, who's this DJ. And, uh, and one of the things about radio is that uh, just have this voice coming over the airwaves, and you don't have a face for it. You don't have, and you just have this voice. Um, and, um, um, and the voice can, you know, again, it's, it can be very soothing. It can be very comforting just to hear that voice. And, you know, again, it keeps you company. I, I, and I remember that. And I still think that way, again, the, um, about radio and, um, and, uh, and what radio meant, meant back then. And, again, still, still means and, um, that you turn on the radio, not just for the station, but for particular DJs who's going to be on the air at that time and the whole, their, their, their take on the, on, the daily, on the news, how they talk, and so forth. And how it, for, for you also, it's, it's so authentic because the experience, because it worked into your creative work that you were making at the time. It right. became part of the, the character creation. Well, I, I, it did because, again, I, I hadn't thought about it. <laughs> In that way, um, but it, it, you know the the um, this notion that you you can uh, admire somebody even though you don't see them. Uh, I mean, not, lots of times we think of you know I, uh, uh, you. I mean, literally, you fall in love with somebody or you, because of the way they look. Let's uh, say, but calling falling in love with somebody because of the way they sound on the radio, the personality that they. Um, uh, convey um, 
And I think that, that obviously that's possible. I mean, we might think about it as like writing letters. A certain aspect of your personality comes through as you write a letter, but you don't necessarily, like pen piles or whatever, you, you know, that a certain aspect of your personality comes through um, that's not simply about looks, if you will, but about some other intrinsic quality. Um, and I find that interesting. Yeah, and that almost seems like that that would be a truer since it's intrinsic it would be um like a deeper quality that you should maybe trust more than surface right. looks or so right right well you know i mean the, the old joke of course that um the man says to his his wife you know baby baby will you love me when i'm old and ugly and she says to him oh, well, i love you now don't i <laughs> I know, so, uh, so, uh, that's a good one. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Now, before we we um, we go, I don't want to go away from the shine character too much yet, because so for twenty, so you said it's about twenty poems that mm -hmm. number in there. So what does it? What what did like the creating these these characters in this section? Um, allow you to do with the poems in some ways that you weren't because when I first picked up the book I almost thought we were going to enter into the world of shine right away and 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 so then when I got to obviously I realized then in section four that's where they are so what was the what's the the difference when you're we are working with a character like what does that give you well, as a poet you know uh, um in both instances, and in, in, uh, it allows you to speak like it's like an actor playing a role. Um, um, is it allows you to say something that you believe in, but through someone else's persona. So you, you can allow for a, a level of complexity, if you will, um, that you couldn't say on your own. Um, and that's so when actors talk about getting into character, um, but yet. Uh, you can channel some of your own thing into that character, but it allows you a certain freedom. So when you're writing uh, um, through a character like that, you're able to have a, a, the best of both worlds, so to speak. You can talk personally, if you will, but at the same time, bring in aspects that you about this character that 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 are not directly related to you, but that interest you in some way still, and so. Um, and that's one of the things I was trying to do, uh, and I, I'm, in, I'm still interested in that question. In uh, the best way I can think to describe it, is like an actor uh, taking on a character. Um, you know, you hear actors say, for instance, well, um, you know, about this, the character they're playing, that they they could identify with the character, or that uh, they they like playing this character. This 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 role was meant for me, or vice mm -hmm. versa. And whereas certain other characters, they wouldn't, they couldn't play, right. they couldn't do. So that's um, is that what you felt like with the like thinking of Shine when Shine? Because I know you said this this char this folk character had been in there since childhood, hearing mm -hmm. stories. But w at one point, did Shine or had he always? stayed in your imagination since you were a boy or was it something that then as you became like because then you were a world traveler you know you were going to Europe and and et cetera well 
Yes and no, because I became aware of the fact as I traveled and as I read and studied that there were these folk characters that exist uh, in lots of different societies all over the planet. Uh, kind of even like Carl Jung might talk about this in um, in the, the book he has, I think, called Myths, Symbols, um, yes. where he talks about that there's certain uh, folk characters uh, that you see around the planet. Uh, well, one of the things he, ad he addresses is the trickster figure. Mm. Um, that you see in and that's shine. That, yes, yes, yes. You see, the shine is a little different in, in, uh, in the sense that he's much more introspective uh, and uh, than, um, than the typical trickster figure. And is that your shine, or is that the shine you were told about as No, that's a, as my a shine. Yes. And the, my shine, the shine that I was told about, he wouldn't have been introspective. My, um, for whatever reason, uh, I chose to make him more introspective, to have doubts, more kind of even existentialist um, uh, uh, in the question, and one of the things is that he he has um, uh, fears and anxieties, um, and that um, uh, that the folk character wouldn't have had, um, because the folk character is much more bold um, and irreverent. Um, but um, uh, I wanted to give him. Um, uh, a different take on, than that. Um, Some vulnerabilities. Uh... Right, right, right. And so, therefore, um, he is different. And so, I, I was I was interested in that, and uh, because I wanted to do something that was based on the character, but uh, but something that was also different. So reinventing and reinventing him. Yes. Because I, yeah. I loved how you said, "Well, shine is more introspective." And right there, I thought, "Oh, is that your shine?" Like, and yeah. it is because it's something yeah. that yeah. you've made. And now, how how long have you been um, working with shine in your your well, I'm, I'm doing a different. I'm doing now. Uh, 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 maybe it's related to that. I'm not sure. But I'm doing some work now that uh, puts that character type in a different uh, locale. Um, um, and so I'm playing with that idea now that he he and and you know similar situation uh, in many respects because it's about him and uh, this kind the the. Um, he has a girlfriend and about their relationship and so forth like that. So again, it's similar but different. But it, so, but not glow. No, they have they have um, quote unquote uh, re regular names now. Uh, her name is Shelley, and so you know she's she's uh, and and he's a, he's a bartender, uh, and she's his girlfriend. Well, yeah. we'll just can can I invite you for another conversation then? I, I, I would love to. <laughs> Me too. This has been fun. Oh, well, thank you, thanks, Kelvin, and 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 thank you all for out there for listening. You've you've been listening to Living Writers um, today on the program, Calvin Forbes. Um, we've been hearing poems from the Shine poems. Thanks again to Text for Engineering. Thanks to you all for listening wherever you are out there. Um, until next time.
This is Free Speech Radio News for Wednesday, February 22nd, 2012 in Los Angeles. I'm Dorian Marina. Coming up, Syria's regime steps up attacks on homes, killing dozens, including journalists, in the day's siege. President Obama plans to close tax loopholes for corporations and lower their rates, but experts are bracing for a pushback from businesses who benefit from the current tax code. And we'll go to India, where criticism of Dow Chemical and the Olympic Committee is mounting ahead of this summer's games in London. Those stories and more, but first, this news. I'm Jess Burns with headlines for FSRN. Protests continue today in Afghanistan in response to news that copies of the Quran were burned on a U.S. military base in the country. International media report at least five people have been killed in clashes with security forces during the demonstrations. The U.S. says the books were burned unintentionally after being confiscated from the Bagram Prison Library. The U.S. Embassy in Kabul is reportedly on lockdown. Bowing to public outcry over the Anti-Counterfeiting Trade Agreement, or ACTA, the European Commission has referred the pact to Europe's highest court. The EU's top trade official says he wants to make sure ACTA doesn't violate European law and fundamental rights. The move could delay a European vote on the treaty even further. FSRN's Liam Moriarty has more. EU Trade Commissioner Carol DeGoot says he's confident that ACTA does not pose a threat to free speech or artistic expression online. But, he says, I welcome that people have voiced their concerns so actively, especially over the freedom of the Internet. And I also understand that there is uncertainty on what ACTA will really mean for these key issues at the end of the day. DeGoot says he wants the European Court of